0: fall down the rabbit hole Well, hi Jody. Hi Shay. Happy Sunday. Ooh, yes. You know what? It's a beautiful day. I know too. it is. It's gorgeous. It is the beginning of October. Obviously, when you hear this, it'll be the end of October. But for us, it's October first, and uh, it's definitely fall. Definitely fall. A beautiful fall day. Yeah, it's gorgeous today. Super sunny, nice and cold. Mm-hmm. Yeah,
1: I like it. Frisk. I, I was like it. Thinking about finally getting rid of my front porch summer decor and putting up my fall. Oh, I've I'm had very resistant. <laughs> very resistant. I've had my fall stuff up since Labor Day. Yeah, no, not <laughs> me. I'm like. I won't give up on summer. I won't.
0: No. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah, and I'm really excited because I'm only a week away from my big trip to Japan.
1: Ooh, it's so exciting. Yeah.
0: So by the time you guys are hearing this, I'll be back from Japan. And uh, I'll be getting ready to tell you all about the trip and how Japan and Washington State are intertwined. But for now, yeah, I'm going to be there for 16 days with my big brother And I'm super excited.
1: I'm excited for you. I can't wait to hear how how it goes. I know you've been looking forward
0: to it for a long time, practicing your Japanese. Yeah, I study my Japanese every day. And uh, yeah, so it's been basically in the making for four years. I think we originally bought our plane tickets for, we had planned on going in October of 2020, and we bought our tickets for that in December of 2019. And then, you know, obviously had to cancel the trip. And so we rebought the tickets this past December. So, yeah. Long just, time coming. Yeah, I've been waiting for 10 months.
1: <laughs> I didn't realize that uh, it had been four years of planning. Four years, yeah. Wow.
0: So, just waiting for Japan to open. And it only reopened a year ago.
1: Wow. So, were they the, one
0: of the last? Yeah. Yeah. They were really resistant to it. Well, friends, I know that you guys were expecting this episode to be. The wrap up of our rainy day rabbit holes road trip. So starting with day three and taking us down the rest of the Northern California coast to San Francisco. But we decided not to release that episode. Um, While we enjoyed talking about it, when we re-listened, it was very boring. It was really boring. (laughs) Yeah. And we may have had like a
1: negative attitude because we... We did a lot of crap talking in that one. I was like, oh my goodness.
0: And that was definitely like after a long day of work and both of our energy was pretty low, I think. Mm -hmm. And you could tell we were just like, yeah, and then we did some stuff. Yeah, and then and then we were looking forward to getting home. <laughs> yeah, basically, <laughs> that's pretty much a wrap up of that. Yeah, episode. I mean, in a nutshell, we drove through Redwood Forest. That was really cool. We drove to San Francisco. We did some stuff in San Francisco, and we flew home. And that was the rest of the trip. Mm -hmm.
1: You haven't missed anything. Mm
0: -hmm. (laughs) No. So the things that I found in San Francisco that I thought that would be something I would want to do a rabbit hole on um, was the Coit Tower and Palace of the Fine Arts. But honestly, it would have been a short episode because there's not a whole lot that's really it interesting it's just kind of some history Mm -hmm, Mm -hmm. but what I ended up falling down the rabbit hole on in part due to my dad because I was like hey dad be my research assistant start finding out cool stuff about San Francisco for me and he turned me on to some stories about Chinatown and the history of Chinatown and so I started researching more and more about Chinatown and I found some really really interesting things about the history of Chinatown so I'm going to share with you some Chinatown history that I think that most people will not be aware of, and uh, definitely will make you think differently next time you visit San Francisco's Chinatown. Oh, nice, nice. Yeah. So,
1: when was uh, Chinatown established in San Francisco? Well,
0: it was during the
1: Gold Rush. So, so 18- uh, eighteen forty-eight. Oh, okay. Yeah, eighteen forty-eight.
0: I think just in the eighteen fifties, over twenty-five thousand people immigrated to San Francisco from China. Wow. So, yeah, it That's was. A big chunk. It was a big chunk. So, is it one of the first established
1: in the country, or um, you know, is it I one of the, most, the oldest Chinatown?
0: I think it is one of the older ones. Um, I know Chicago and... New York both have big Chinatowns as well. But this was, this is, I think, definitely one of the most densely populated ones. Mm. So, you ready mm. to get into this? I'm ready. Okay. All right. By the way, for everybody out there who's like, San Francisco isn't part of the Northwest, the Pacific Northwest. I'm like, okay, I know parts of Northern California are considered parts of the Pacific Northwest, and San Francisco somehow falls right out of that, but I don't care. <laughs> <laughs> this is our podcast. We can do whatever the fuck we want. That's right. <laughs> If you want to want to include San Francisco, include San Francisco. Exactly. I mean, I
1: think we saw one definition that included it,
0: didn't we? Or yeah, they just say northern California. They said parts of northern California, gotcha. but then when I looked into it, they're like, "Oh, nope, the Bay Area is part of its own thing." Oh, gotcha. All so, right. All right. It's part of the Bay Area, but hey, you know what? They're our neighbors and we were there. We were there. So. <laughs> So anyways, I, I got a lot of my information from PBS and History Channel, and I will eventually put the full list of all of our sources on our website. I just haven't had time to do that yet. So that'll get put up before the end of the year. If you do actually want specifically sources before I do that, you can email us and I can send them to you. But for right now, just know that we have our sources we will publish them but for now um it was mostly the pbs and the history channel and this great film by the uh american experience from pbs it was called plague at golden gate plague plague at golden gate which mm-hmm. i was like huh huh and this was a, a disease well
1: or was just, this what we're going to talk about today? this is what we're going to talk about I gotcha all right you ready mm-hmm. gotcha let's do it mm-hmm
0: okay In the early morning of June 28, 1899, an Italian fisherman discovered two bodies floating face down in San Francisco Bay. A Japanese steamship had arrived the day before from Hong Kong after stopping in Shanghai, Yokohama, Japan, and Honolulu. She flew a yellow flag, which was the international symbol indicating disease. Two stowaways, who were apparently ill, jumped into the water and died and were later found. Medical personnel thought there was something odd about the bodies, and they sent them to Joseph... Kinyun, who was the nation's foremost plague authority, and his lab was out on Angel Island in the San Francisco Bay. Which I could do a whole rabbit hole about Angel Island as well. We almost went there. So, Angel Island had a quarantine station and a marine hospital. Um, it was also the immigration station for San Francisco. So, kind of like right. Ellis Island is for New York, Angel Island was for the west coast. Exactly how Jackie described it to yep. us. Mm-hmm. Um, so so John Keckinian already knew that hospitals around the world were reporting the plague had a 90% death rate and that millions had already died from this pandemic that had been raging since the 1850s. So I'm going to do a
1: little and where are we now? 1899. So
0: 1899, this is wow, 40 yeah. something years well, of So a little history about the plague. I think most people are familiar with the Black Death, which was the first known wave of the bubonic plague that swept across Europe in the 1300s. It took about four years to make its way from Central Asia to Europe, the Middle East and North Africa. And in Europe alone, it killed an estimated two-thirds of the population.
1: Yeah, it was devastating. Though Mm -hmm.
0: scholars do think that perhaps deaths from other diseases like smallpox and leprosy also were attributed to the bubonic plague. So remember, it was misdiagnosed. Olden times, yeah. There was yeah. a lot of misdiagnosis times, that they yes. they thought. So, anyway, so that number, you know, who knows how. Accurate the number is. So, interestingly, some of the public health measures that we implement today, like during this last COVID 19 pandemic, emerged during the Black Death. And that's like isolation of sick people and their families, restricting ships to port, and the control of movement of people and goods. Mm -hmm. So, that actually started in the 1300s to try to control the spread of the bubonic plague. So, the second wave of the plague was in the 1500s and it saw the emergence of a new strain that was much more vir- 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 Viral. virile virulent mm-hmm. is that the word I'm looking mm-hmm. for Um, and it hit France the hardest killing two and a half million people between 1600 and 1670 and it also hit Holland Italy and England wow. in the 1500s
1: and is that because
0: it seemed to have traveled faster is that
1: because we were traveling faster is you know I think yes were? because
0: mm-hmm. I mean at that time they didn't know how the disease was transmitted Mm -hmm. It has been, for centuries, considered a disease of bad air or uncleanliness, or as you'll hear in this story, attributed to a particular race. Oh, gotcha. So, you know, they didn't know what the transmission, how the transmission happened. So, outbreaks would still happen in small pockets, but it started declining in the 1700s, and the last great epidemic was in France in 1720 and in Russia in 1770. So, it was pretty quiet from the 1770s. 70s until the mid-1800s. The next pandemic wave beginning in 1865 in southern China. So, between 1894 and 1929, there were over 24,000 cases in just Hong Kong alone. And from Hong Kong, it spread into the ports of India, where 12 million people died over 20 years.
1: Wow. 12 million. That's yeah. Over 20 years. Now, when in, you're in calling it, the, it, we're ta- talking about the plague here and these other phases. Now, the bubonic plague, is this the same related virus?
0: It's bacteria. Oh, it's bacteria. Okay. Yeah. The bubonic plague is bacteria, and we'll get into transmission in a little bit here. And these are all still related? Yeah. These plagues? Okay. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, as far as I know, because, you know, (laughs) old-timey. Gotcha. (laughs) (laughs) Old-timey disclaimer here. Um, So, it was not until 1897 that the bacterium that caused the disease was identified, and in 1898, the mechanism for transmission was discovered. There was also a vaccine created in 1896, but it only had about 50% protection, and it had terrible side effects. I mean, we're talking, like, within hours of being injected, it would feel like you were having a heart attack, and your whole body would be on fire. And it only offered 50% protection, so people were really reluctant to take the vaccine. People were already really reluctant to take any vaccines at that time anyway. You know, especially vaccines that are killed vaccine or even a live vaccine. They're like, what, you want to inject me with the disease? Right. We don't typically see vaccines for bacteria either. Yeah. So back to San Francisco in 1899, Dr. Ken had some understanding that perhaps the plague was associated with rats. So he had that Japanese steamboat disinfected. He quarantined the passengers and crew on Angel Island. So he thought that the two dead men had Died of plague, but the bodies were fairly, they were in bad shape, so he couldn't because of the condition of the bodies. So he could not say for sure that this was the plague. But he stayed alert because he suspected it was. San Francisco was the busiest coast or the busiest port in the West Coast. And it was beginning to be connected by rail all over the country. Um, So, in 1862, I think, was when the big, huge rail project was happening that was connecting all of these American cities. So, it was perfectly positioned to spread the disease throughout the country. Right. Mm -hmm. Joseph was really concerned about that, so he became diligent about inspecting all ships from Asia, because it was thought that this disease was a disease that was only affecting Asians. And so, you could contain the disease by containing Asians.
1: Wow. Wow.
0: So, let's pause the plague here and we're going to get a little bit into the history of Chinatown. So, in the mid-1840s, China itself was suffering. They had just been defeated by Britain in the first Opium War. And the Opium Wars were these two armed conflicts between Western countries, Britain and France, and China. And they were mostly about Western powers wanting unfettered access to Asia. So for their markets and their products, and especially opium. And after this defeat and these treaties that were forced upon them, uh, there was a series of natural natural catastrophes, resulting in widespread famine, uprisings, and just terrible living conditions. So when the news of the American gold rush came to China, a lot of people decided to take their chances at getting their fortune in America. So like I had said before, so that was approximately 1848. So around 25,000 people came to America in the 1950s alone. So that was a pretty big big influx in the 1850s Mm -hmm. did I say the 1950s Um, so yeah it was a big influence influx of Chinese and other Asian immigrants into America
1: for the gold rush so we had them coming across the country and also coming into the country
0: right right Mm -hmm. to you know, do a lot of labor, mining, and then eventually go on to build to really be a big part of building the railroad. So, were they coming
1: over to stake their own claim, or were they coming over to work with
0: They, Yes. I think a lot of them were coming, well, some of them were coming just for labor, and some of them were coming trying to stake their own claim. Mm -hmm. Now, of course, white Americans were having a problem with that. Absolutely. And also, unfortunately, by the time many of the immigrants managed to actually reach San Francisco, the gold rush was starting to die out. They had already mined most of the gold that was available. So many people had already come to stake their claim that there was nothing left. Many of these immigrants had to turn to just hard labor to survive. And those who weren't working in the mines, maybe they'd go into farm labor or they'd work in the garment industry, which was a big thing in San Francisco in the late 1800s. What a risk to take
1: because it's not like you could go, Oh, that didn't work out. I'm gonna go home. It's not that easy. Right,
0: right. And it you know, a lot of these people had to take loans out to even get to America. So they yeah. were in debt when they got here. And we'll get into that a little bit too. More still more became railroad laborers, as we know about some of the terrible tragedies that have happened in building the railroad and on the immigrants that would be killed in, in these really unsafe working conditions. Mm-hmm. But they were instrumental in building that railroad that connected San Francisco to the rest of the country. In addition, Due to protests by the white miners that foreign miners were cutting into their profits in 1850, California passed a foreign miners tax that required miners who were not <laughs> U.S. citizens to pay twenty dollars every month for the right to mine in the state. What is that in today's money?
1: Twenty U.S. dollars in 1850 is equivalent; uh, it has equivalent purchase power right now to seven hundred eighty-seven dollars and twenty-five cents. Holy crap! So they would have to pay almost eight hundred dollars
0: in order to labor reference reference
1: point in order to
0: just labor just to work there or to to take for the right to mine the right so even to work as a miner you had to pay that tax even
1: if you're working for someone else Mm -hmm. and they were taking Mm -hmm. the profit wow
0: and also, oh, remember, these foreign immigrants are being paid less than their white counterparts, so they're getting paid the lowest wages. Wow. So, I, you know, it was almost impossible. There were a lot of protests, and eventually it was dropped to $4, which is still, That's a I'm significant sure, drop. a lot of money. But And in reality, the tax is only collected from the Chinese. There were a lot of other immigrants. Um, the European miners were not forced to pay it. So, mostly Chinese and Latino miners were forced to pay that tax, but not the Europeans, because, you know, they were white. Well, correct, yeah. <laughs> (laughs) (laughs) So as as in the case with many immigrant communities, things were really tough. So most of these Chinese immigrants had to work for reduced wages and work longer hours than their white counterparts, of course. Many women were forced into sex work, either for survival, or they were just straight out kidnapped and trafficked.
1: And these women would be family members of the men that came to mind? Are these women that came to mind?
0: No, I think the women that would come over might come with their families or some women came just in the hopes of finding a better life for themselves Mm -hmm, because mm -hmm. things were so bad back home. So, they came over here hoping that they could get a job maybe in the garment industry And that maybe they could find a husband here as well. You know, maybe somebody, another Chinese immigrant who would come here. Um, So, they'd
1: heard about the American dream even in the mm -hmm, 1850s. And they'd
0: come over here and either couldn't get a job, couldn't make it work, and so had to go into survival sex work or were straight up forced into sexual slavery. Hmm. And many people, like I had said, went into debt for their transport to America from China. And a lot of those loans were given out by Tongs. And Tongs was just kind of a word for a local association that would offer loans and also would offer protection. And they were really benevolent at the beginning. They were there to offer help to Chinese immigrants for helping them maybe get money to fight discrimination or these loans, or just protect them from, you know, a lot of white people that wanted to beat them up physically mm-hmm, and harm mm-hmm. them physically and it was a, a, one of the few resources that the immigrants could turn to in these difficult times but eventually these groups incorporated sex work gambling drug trade and racketeering and they became the preeminent asian gang organized crime network in america so they were Were they charging for the protection? Yes. And so power and money. Yes. And so eventually they were running the Mm -hmm. opium dens that were a big thing. You know, there were opium dens in China, and a lot of the laborers who came over here were addicted to opium. Mm -hmm. And so this was an opportunity for the Tongs to open up opium dens in Chinatown and continue that trade. And uh, they were operating gambling halls, bars, brothels, and those opium dens. And I was going to go into a whole thing about the Tongs, Mm -hmm. but it would have taken out another hour hour and a half. it's a whole nother rabbit yeah. hole it's a whole nother rabbit hole you know, read about the Tong Wars. It's, it's really interesting. Um, but just to say, they started out benevolent and then turned into more of mm-hmm. a gang organized mm-hmm. crime organization. As these racial tensions grew between the white workers and the Chinese immigrants, they were forced into a much smaller and smaller area of San Francisco, which was later known as Chinatown. San Francisco's Chinatown t- held between 6 and 9% of San Francisco's total population in 12 blocks. And by 1890, Chinatown was home to an estimated 21,000 immigrants. It's a 12-block
1: neighborhood. Do you happen to know what the total population was? Of San Francisco at the Mm -hmm. time? I do not. Yeah. I do not.
0: Um, So, the American economy was starting to weaken at that time because the gold rush was petering out. And so, many of the American workers, again, they thought that the Chinese workers were a threat to the American workforce. And so, a bunch of racist legislation was passed to try to limit this perceived effect that the Chinese were having on the American economy. Mm-hmm. Okay, so in a nutshell, I'm not going to go through all of them in detail, but there, were, there was legislation passed by California co- courts so that the Chinese could not testify against white defendants, um, same as black people and Native Americans, so basically that legalized violence against these immigrants. Right. Um there was legislation passed that would fine you for living in squalid conditions. And then if you couldn't pay the fine, they would throw you in jail. And then because the jails got overcrowded, then they passed other legislation about cutting off the pigtails of Japanese or excuse me, um Chinese men which was a status symbol to try to keep them out of jail. It was it was a mess. They closed the only segregated Chinese school, and they would not let Chinese children attend white schools. So, I mean, they were so making- they cut off
1: all the education. Yeah, they
0: cut off education. They were poor, and they had to live in squalid conditions, yet they were being fined for living in these squalid conditions. So, the city was doing everything they could to drive Chinese immigrants out. And then, in the, the worst two that were passed, I am going to go over briefly because they are very important, was the 1875 Page Act, which- banned asian women specifically chinese women to come into the country because the united states thought that most uh, asian women coming here were all sex workers mm-hmm. and they were afraid also that asian women would start marrying white men and contaminating the purity <laughs> of the white race so this me- meant that chinese immigrants couldn't bring their families with them and so they came here alone and then men were outnumbering women twenty to one Which increased the demand for sex trade. Right. So, therefore, now women had to be trafficked more and more. So, families would sometimes sell their daughters into sexual slavery, but also organizations like the Tongs were trafficking women from China here. Promising them a good marriage or a good job, and then just forcing them to work as sex slaves in the brothels. It made sex trafficking terrible,
1: right? It increased it absolutely because these men didn't have women that they would have relationships with. So right,
0: right, their, their needs wife were was met back home. Yeah,
1: by yeah. that, so they actually increased. Yeah, by stopping this awful sex trade work from the Chinese women, they increased this yeah. sex yeah. trade work. Yeah. No. Mm-hmm.
0: And then, probably one of the worst, most xenophobic pieces of legislation that America has ever passed was the Chinese Exclusion Act of 1882, which banned all Chinese laborers from coming into the country for 10 years. You could only come into the country if you had obtained this certification, basically showing that you weren't a laborer. So, it's limiting it to diplomats and maybe the, the very wealthy. Nobody could come. Also, if you returned to China, you could not come back. Wow it was it was really really bad and they continued to extend it so it ended up not being repealed until 1930
1: 1930 yeah so all and what an interesting time to have that happen considering that would bring that would allow chinese laborers back into the country correct right and we had an unemployment problem at that time yes mm-hmm. and
0: so What's also interesting, and I'm going to tie this in when I talk about Japan when I get back. One of the things that the Chinese Exclusion Act did in limiting that low-wage labor from coming here is it meant that other immigrants took that place. So, I read at one point after that act was passed that the Japanese immigrants started to outnumber the Chinese immigrants. And that's one of the reasons why Seattle has such a huge Mm. Japanese community is because of the Chinese Exclusion Act, because they still had need for cheap labor, especially on the railroad. And so, these other immigrants came in to fill that void. So, that's an interesting tie-in there of how it affected right. other immigrant communities.
1: It's interesting to me that we clearly needed the immigrants to come do these jobs, but we just didn't want the Chinese to do it. Anybody else can do it, but just not the Chinese.
0: Yes. So, and mm-hmm. the Chinese, you know, it was, uh, the xenophobia was just terrible. They considered them, of course, to be of a lower class of human, mm-hmm. that they were all Murderers, liars—they dehumanize they them. They dehumanize them mm.
1: terribly. And then you can easily make that jump. That legislation—you can easily treat people the way they were treated when you dehumanize.
0: Yes, absolutely. And we'll get to that right now because all of this just set the scene. Did just accidentally make a segue? You did. Nice job. <laughs> Never write a segue. By the way, they're very dangerous. Uh, yes, I think the the inventor of the segue died yeah, on a segue. I feel like right? He went <laughs>
1: off a cliff or something.
0: So all of that was to set the scene for how Americans thought of Chinese in the late 1800s. So, when Bubonic Plague was first discovered in the U.S., that Chinese Exclusion Act was in full effect, but trade from China was still allowed, Mm because, of course, we're not going to restrict the movement of goods. Mm -hmm, It's mm -hmm. part of the economy. And Chinatown was still a cramped, densely populated area. And at that time, there was very little sanitation, so there's no garbage pickup. The sewers are rudimentary at best. Mm. So... I'm picturing the smell a oh. little yeah yeah you know mo- there's not a whole lot of there's no not a whole lot of toilets Mm-mm. you know what do you do with your sewage not a whole lot of running water people were so poor that they would sleep in beds and shifts with other people
1: hot racking hot racking yeah that's right yeah
0: they would hot rack just because they couldn't afford it so and in fact uh the first Known death from bubonic plague in Chinatown was a worker who was hot racking with three other men in a hotel, and he died on March sixth of nineteen hundred. But however, back to Doctor uh, Joseph Kinyon, he could not officially confirm the diagnosis. One of the things that made it difficult to confirm bubonic plague at this time was an autopsy was needed to confirm it, and that was. ...deeply against Chinese tradition Mm -hmm. to have an autopsy. Mm -hmm. Also, the sentiment against the Chinese meant that most Chinese could not get health care. If they went to the hospital, they would be turned away. And so, they they were unwilling to report sickness. So, people would just die. They would take care of the body themselves, so you wouldn't know. So, the actual cases of bubonic plague that happened this time were grossly unreported. So they think that it was many times more than what they actually came up with. Still, Joseph Kenyon could not confirm bubonic plague. So, you know, he works for the the health board. He cannot, or not the health board, but it was the military health system or something like Mm -hmm. that. And they actually kind of had control over this sort of thing in San Francisco. But he couldn't confirm without this diagnosis. But the city board of health got wind of it. And so they panicked and they put a quarantine on Chinatown because again this is a disease that only affects Asians mm-hmm, in their minds. Mm-hmm. And so there were they roped it off and there were mobs of guards standing outside of the entrances to Chinatown with axes and guns wow. ready to murder anybody that tried to leave. So of course there were riots, there was a lot of protests. They lifted the quarantine.
1: Who was rioting? Who was protesting? The Chinese inside. Okay. So within within they yes, were rioting yes. and protesting. Okay.
0: And so they finally lifted that quarantine, but it had the result of undermining confidence in the authorities, not only on the case of the the side of the Chinese, but the rest of San Francisco. They're like, oh, what are these crazy Board of Health people doing? We can't trust them. (laughs) <laughs> you know, they put a quarantine on and then lift it. They must not know what they're doing. Right. Which will lead into the reason why this went on for so long. Mm-hmm. So, Dr. Kenyon was finally able to grow the bacteria and confirm that it was plague. And so he sent word to Washington, D.C., and they're like, contain it by any means. He told the leaders of San Francisco, but the city leaders and the merchant elite were really reluctant to A, believe him, and B, do anything about it because it would affect the trade
1: Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. right the economy the economy the
0: ever most important economy exactly (laughs) life or death and economy wins also they were kind of unconcerned because again this is a disease that only affects the chinese right so the white population the important people are going to be affected if it kills some chinese people who cares Mm -hmm. so focus shifted to just the chinese and these so-called Asiatic infections, and you see me doing air quotes here, were called a menace to public health by the mayor. So, now you've dehumanized this population even more. Mm -hmm. So, 75 health inspectors and dozens of police officers armed with axes, sledgehammers and revolvers descended on Chinatown. They broke down doors. They smashed people's belongings, they stole whatever they wanted, and they would beat up anybody that stood in their way. And they would burn any belongings that they thought looked like they were, quote-unquote, contaminated.
1: And this was to contain the plague? To contain
0: the plague, yeah. So, their belongings were torched, and then they would burn sulfur smudge pots in all of the businesses and homes. Which destroyed, you know, if you had fabric or oh, food, gosh. it would destroy it. I
1: smell like a rotten egg.
0: And this had the effect of frightening the residents to the point where they were no longer going to report any sickness to the authorities. Of course. But six more cases anyway were confirmed by mid-May, and now white people were starting to get it. Not white people. Including people that had never visited Chinatown. So, then a plan was put into place to vaccinate all of Chinatown with that recently created largely ineffective vaccine. And only 53 residents volunteered and they reported the terrible side effects. And so, nobody else decided they were going to do it. How many? 53 people.
1: 53 people, okay.
0: So, therefore, the Surgeon General decides that they're going to make... It mandatory for all Asians, all Asians to be vaccinated. And San Francisco decided that they wanted to try to keep any Asians from leaving the city. So they passed an order that transport companies, buses and ships and trains and whatnot could not sell tickets leaving the city or leaving California to Asians hmm. specifically. <laughs> so riots ensued. There was a class action lawsuit filed and a judge agreed that it should be the ban should be lifted and they blamed it on Dr. Kinyun that he was being overzealous, that he was overblowing the severity of this disease, and they put a a restraining order against him from doing any more things. But and he was like He can no longer make rules. Right. So they were he but then he was like, Fuck you, this is a this is a terrible disease. I'm trying right. to keep it from spreading. And so he ignored the judge and he continued to enforce containment measures and quarantine. Even to the point of forcibly removing people from their homes, and when they've been exposed, and placing them in quarantine on Angel Island. Which so he's villainized and heroized in this story in many ways. He obviously still was being kind of terrible in these measures, but you know he did have some scientific backing that they well, disease thinking was is there. So, so uh,
1: disregarding experts, uh, making decisions for life and death based. <laughs>
0: I can't drink out the straw while I'm podcasting metal straw.
1: So basically, disregarding experts and thinking we know better, and going about doing making decisions and, sh- and silencing actual experts. This has been going on for a couple hundred years. It's just the American way. It's the American way. I know better. You don't know anything. I'm an uneducated, uh-huh. and you are an expert. So Absolutely. therefore, I know Absolutely. the truth. You do not. Yeah. So and it just it's, continues. It's interesting. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
0: So his quarantines were on Chinatown were eventually lifted by the courts. And then the next day, Dr. Canute Can- decided he was going to quarantine the entire state. Oh. So, of course, all the white people were like, what? Uh, 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 <laughs> my clutching rights. Clutching their pearls. My freedoms. My <laughs> Exactly. Rights. Everybody else was outraged. So three days later, at this time, it was President McKinley had to apologize to the state and revoke the travel ban. So, that's oh. very embarrassing. <laughs> so, state officials were still refusing to acknowledge this outbreak. But by June of 1901, there had been 35 plague deaths confirmed. Now, remember, there were a lot that were unconfirmed because people were not reporting the sickness mm-hmm. to the health authorities. And so, you know, it was obviously a lot more. So, Kin at this point had been shuffled off to Detroit, and they brought in a replacement for him, Dr. Blue. And Dr. Blue actually did things a little bit different. He set up a lab in Chinatown, and he actually tried to get to know the residents. He hired Chinese translators, and he actually, get this, paid them the same what? as the white translators. Was he allowed to do that? I don't know. Was I even think, legal? Oh my God, how were there not riots in the streets mm-hmm. by white people? <laughs> you must not have known. <laughs> so he he revised these containment and plague containment measures so he would only quarantine and disaffect homes that had been affected. Instead of, like, the entire town. (laughs) But then, and it seemed like it was working, but then three Japanese sex workers died of the plague. So, then they were like, oh, shit, now it's going to be impossible to to trace the progress of this disease Mm -hmm. because, you know, the sex workers will see dozens of people a day. And if they passed it on, then who knows where it could be. So, he finally worked it out that... White doctors throughout the city were purposefully misdiagnosing plague deaths so that they wouldn't have to report them. So,
1: they'd say it wasn't the plague Mm -hmm. when they knew Mm -hmm. it was the plague.
0: Yeah. Mm. They wanted to downplay the seriousness of the outbreak. They think that there were hundreds more deaths that were just not reported of white people, too. So, it was not just a Chinese disease. They wanted to keep it a Chinese disease. So, they misdiagnosed on purpose because... Right. God forbid, it gets out that white people can also catch this disease. Right, yeah. right. We wouldn't
1: want to uh, know the truth to protect ourselves. We'd rather live in the mm-hmm. this uh, world where we don't need to protect ourselves and it's yep. all fine.
0: Yep. So at this, Reality's hard. Exactly. <laughs> so at this point, finally, the mode of transmission had been discovered. And so now Dr. Blue knew that it was the rats that were coming ashore from these international trade ships. Mm-hmm. They would come ashore and when the rat died, It's fleas flee Mm -hmm,
1: mm -hmm. and go
0: on to the next warm blooded host, and they pass on the bacteria when they bite you. So Mm -hmm. they actually regurgitate a little bit into you
1: Mm -hmm, when they bite mm -hmm. you.
0: And then so they're pushing the bubonic plague into you. That's how it was spreading. So he. And they
1: didn't discover this till this outbreak of the plague. That we're speaking of in the... Yeah, I think it was... Are we in
0: the 1900s now? uh, We're in the 1900s now. The mode of transmission, I think, was first theorized in, like, 1898 Mm. in... I think it was actually in the Pasteur lab, Mm -hmm. and they discovered that that's the mode of transmission. But, you know, it's the late 1800s, not the age of the internet. News traveled slow, plus people Mm -hmm. still had a little bit of mistrust in science, <laughs> so it was just easier to blame it on yeah. on a certain race or what I want it to be. Yeah, exactly. Not in what fact, it the is. the Surgeon General mm-hmm. of the United States at that time publicly said that he thought that it was a disease of the unwashed and unmoral. Oh, mhm. So morality yeah. played in the plague. Mm-hmm. Oh. And of course, Chinese were immoral. Yeah, of course. Yes. <laughs> By being Chinese. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Well, they're bringing that air. Exactly. Dr. Blue put into place a a huge rat eradication campaign. So, he actually offered a bounty for rats. So, he would pay a certain amount per rat and breeding females would get 10 cents. Oh, wow. So, people were rounding up hundreds of thousands of rats and bringing them in. Now, I I had to stop and think, okay, (laughs) wait a minute. If you're killing the rat those fleas, fleas yeah. are going to make their way onto you. Mm-hmm. So, there, I think that there's a... There's
1: no like uh, off or flea repellent or... No, no.
0: <laughs> uh, they also started tearing down old dilapidated buildings that were kind of a, a breeding spot mm-hmm. for mm-hmm. rats and building new modern buildings, starting to work on some sanitation, and they did help slow the progress of the disease. So eventually there were no new cases reported. But then on April 18th, 1906, there was a massive earthquake that decimated the city. And because the water mains had ruptured, a fire spread out of control and burned down more than 80% of San Francisco. So they could not fight the fires because of that broken water main. And officials started putting off dynamite charges to try to make fire breaks. And it worked a little bit, but then... Troublemakers decided to just go into Chinatown and dynamite the whole, the whole town. Mm. So Chinatown was pretty much wiped out wow. at that point. And what year again? Nineteen oh six.
1: Nineteen oh six. Yeah.
0: Most people were living in tents. And so the Chinatown we see today is definitely not
1: the original. No. Okay. Most
0: almost all of it is completely gone mm-hmm. and completely rebuilt. Also, the uh, the city was handing out supplies to people, but wouldn't give any to the Chinese. Mm. Of course. Sewer mains had ruptured, and everybody was now living on the streets, oh, basically. Gosh. So the rats came back. Mm-hmm. So the plague cases started to show up again. So by the fall, there were thirty more deaths. And at this time, doctors finally began to admit that they had seen bubonic plague deaths in their practices, but had not had not wow. disclosed them. So the eradication of rats began again, and that it was then that they discovered that they knew about the fleas. So they started putting into place more. Uh, sanitation measures so garbage collection began because of this Mm. and they rebuilt the sewage system so that it would actually take the sewer away keep the rats below ground instead of in the buildings and then they started to decline again and they say in 1908 that was the last case in san francisco celebrated 1908 so it Mm -hmm. just took a couple years yeah after
1: they started admitting it right and (laughs) addressing it so
0: the plague was basically in san francisco for eight years wow yeah but the government's denial and treatment of the outbreak left a known, remember this is known, 280 infected and at least 172 people dead, of which the majority were Chinese. Now, mm-hmm. again, it was probably many more mm-hmm. than that mm-hmm. due to underreporting. So, despite being vilified and targeted, Chinatown eventually bounced back. Organizations like the Chinese Consulated, this is a lot – Chinese Consolated Benevolent Association – Oh, wow. They like big words the in that CCBA, association. Mm-hmm. They raise money to hire lawyers to fight back against the laws targeting the Chinese. And because. The Chinese were refused health care in the city hospitals. They finally built the first Chinese hospital in Chinatown. And the community banded together to rebuild after the fire. Eventually resulting in the beautiful, vibrant Chinatown that we Mm. walked through recently. However, racial discrimination and gentrification threatens the community of Chinatown. Tourists romanticize this exotic mystique Mm -hmm. of the city. And it has resulted in non Chinese people that are not low income moving into the, the town, which is displacing the mostly low income mm-hmm. population. And the impact of the pe- pandemic and the recent scourge of anti Asian hate and continued stereotyping is still having a detrimental effect on the neighborhood I read an article by a man who grew up in Chinatown and he was talking about what it was like to live there as a boy and have tourists come through and take pictures of him and his family like it was mm. something exotic He said they would just feel you like you're part of the scenery for tourists and fetishized in this oh, false yeah. belief mm-hmm. that Chinatown rese- somehow represents authentic Chinese culture
1: R- right. Yeah. Like going to Chinatown now, I don't need to go to China. I've experienced it. Right. I'm good.
0: Right. Yeah. <laughs> and most tourists who come to this neighborhood, including me, until I read up on this, have no inkling of the terrible acts of racism and discrimination that happened committed by our own government to the people who lived here and to Chinese and other immigrants throughout the country. Like, mm-hmm. I had no idea. I'd never heard of this before. It was somebody in my bar class that was like, you need to look into the Chinese Exclusion Act of 1882 and how that affected Chinatown. And I was like, what the hell right, right. is that? <laughs> and I was just horrified. It was like, the more I read, the worse it got. Right. And then when I saw this thing about the bubonic plague, during this time when you were literally not allowed to come here because you were Chinese, now also you're dying.
1: Right. Well, if you're, you have no health care. <laughs> well, you're dying in China, too. Yeah. Yeah. And you're now, you know, contained into this disease-ridden community yes. where the plague is. Yes. And
0: yeah, I'm sure mm-hmm. if you were Chinese, you basically would not be allowed to live anywhere else in the city at that time.
1: And instead of, a, you know, trying to help them, they were shamed and blamed.
0: Yes, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Not only for bringing this disease, but... For being immoral and right. living in squalid conditions, you were blamed for that, even though it was them who forced you into it
1: in the first place. <laughs> right,
0: right, right. And to Here, come- we're going to create a situation where you
1: now exist like this, and guess what? Now that's a crime and a problem.
0: Right, <laughs> right. And I've only touched the surface yes. of it. You know, the more I read… The more of these just like terrible things that were happening to the immigrants kept coming up. And I was like, this is going to be a two and a half hour episode if I keep going down every single mm-hmm.
1: little rabbit Injustice hole i found. Injustice and yeah, blatant racist legislation. I mean, the Chinese Exclusion Act. I mean, they didn't even try to hide it. Nope. It was just. They didn't even try to name it something nice. Yep. We are literally going to exclude you. Yep.
0: And. You know, when you look at this and, you know, this pandemic that came to San Francisco in the early 1900s, and I mean, this was before the Spanish flu even, mm-hmm. but some of the measures that were taken against that were reflected recently. Oh, yeah. And also, I think back to some legislation that was passed in the last 10 years banning people from certain countries to come here, mm-hmm, that mm-hmm. kind of reflects this, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and it still is affecting immigrants from those affected countries now. I have a friend who married a man from Pakistan, and they've now been married for going on three years, and he's still working on getting his visa. And oh, they treated can't even come him here? right. Oh wow! They treated him and his wife, who lives here, like they were criminals mm-hmm. when he's going through his interview for his visa
1: and do you think that would be the same thing had he been coming from norway
0: no right. absolutely not mm-hmm. they'd be like oh you're norwegian great <laughs> that's awesome <laughs> come on over you guys are so cool <laughs> yeah. no and they they asked him specifically i guess one of the immigration officers pulled him aside and was like if if you're lying about the reasons you got married just leave now and we won't prosecute you Oh, wow. Yeah.
1: Very aggressive.
0: Yeah. Oh, very aggressive. While you're just
1: trying to be in love and build your family and future. Yeah.
0: yeah. They had a- You're being
1: accused of being a criminal. They had
0: a long distance relationship for years and then got married. So, like, they've been in a relationship for five or six years at this point. Like, come on. He's not- This is a long game if he's just doing this for a green card. <laughs> right? Right. So, it's- Yeah. It's it's kind of a travesty still. But- um Again, not to get into politics, I just, next time I go to a community like Chinatown, I feel like my eyes are opened a little more now. Right, I'm going to take a little more time to respect and honor what the people who founded that community went through, instead of it just being, you know, my own experience of the place at the time. Mm -hmm. Think a little bit more about the people who built the place and the people who still live there. Right, right. And just the strength of the people who built that community is really amazing. So right. that's that's my little rabbit hole into just a tiny drop of Chinatown's history. Oh, I thought wow. it was very interesting.
1: Yeah. Wow. Yeah, that is interesting. Very um political.
0: It is. It was it was a lot more than I thought I was gonna find. right. I, the, right. the plague. Um so that that pandemic of the plague also affected Uh, Honolulu's Chinatown. So, I think most of that Chinatown got burnt down in 1900 because of the plague. So, As a
1: way to contain it? Right. So, they were trying
0: to burn down individual buildings, and then the fire just got out of control, and it wiped it out. Gotcha. So, people just had to sit around and watch their homes and businesses burn Burn. to the ground. Yeah. And again, part of that was just because of racism, because Mm -hmm. this is considered a disease that only... affects the chinese or the asians again <laughs> was that sentiment not reflected recently uh, by very much that. the whole time government you were telling this official calling plague. it the china flu yeah the china
1: virus mm-hmm. i am um, the entire time you were explaining your rabbit hole i was thinking wow we are 200 years later behaving in the same way in a lot of ways mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know
0: yeah and then the the waves of anti-Asian hate, which we right, saw. Right, right after. I mean, it just followed right up. Mm-hmm. Certain leaders were blaming COVID on the Chinese, so people decided that they needed to punish them for Right,
1: that. right. And sure, it originated out of China. Why and how doesn't matter because the fella downtown in Chinatown didn't have anything to do with that. Right. So, why are we assaulting these random Asian people throughout our communities? Sure. However, however, those, however it happened. However it happened yeah, I'm
0: not going to speculate on, on where that it came person from. person walking down
1: the street. Had
0: nothing to do with it. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing to
1: do with it.
0: Besides having,
1: but it's a, it's and, and, a
0: it's an avenue to take out your
1: know, right. frustration, anger. What's happening fear. to me? I have no fear.
0: Yeah, I fear mean it's all sure. fear, right? Mm-hmm. That's what. A lot of it is, is fear. Mm -hmm. Fear of... of And we've
1: dehumanized these people, so it's very easy to leap to, okay, I'm going to take it out on them.
0: Right. I fear this person because I've othered them, and so now Mm -hmm. I feel like I have to protect myself from them.
1: Mm -hmm. Because Mm -hmm. I've
0: othered them, and now they're a monster to me. And they deserve it. That's what othering Mm -hmm. do. Anytime you other somebody, it's easier to dehumanize them and then to justify acts of racism and hate and violence that's how we get there so anyways this was my kind of dark dive into it was a dark dive i was uh
1: i did not know all of that and i'm more conscientious now than before Yes. I, I always saw it as, you know, a celebration of the Chinese culture or we make space for them to have their own place for us to visit and get a taste of. But that's actually not at all how no. that came to be no. or what it is. Yeah. It was a
0: place they were forced into mm-hmm. and then terrorized in. Right, right. And then it was destroyed and then they chose to rebuild. Now, one of the problems is when it was being rebuilt, a lot of wealthy whites... Decided that they wanted it in on it and would come and rebuild. Those buildings, gentrification, built, built but yeah, built by white architects in the style that they imagined was—I'm going to say the word "oriental." Got it. In quotes right now. Mm -hmm. I'm using that word in a the way that they would have thought, and it did actually have a pretty vibrant nightlife during. I think it was like the 70s and 80s. It was like there was a lot of cool clubs there, and now the white people were flocking to Chinatown because it was like the cool place to go because of all the nightlife, right? And then that died down. And it's, you know, it's seen as a big tourist attraction there. But 99% of the tourists wander through there with no idea of what has happened there. Correct. That was me, me just too.
1: Yeah. a month ago when, when you and I went down there. Yeah. You go there, <clears throat> sure. you have
0: dim sum, you giggle at the weird stuff in the markets. Right, and, right. And um, wonder what the all these routes are for and take pictures of the lanterns. And then yeah. you, you move on without <laughs> thinking that you had just celebrated Chinese. Culture. Right, right. So, I feel I feel a little bit educated. I know that I've only scratched the surface. So, today, now. I'm not feeling virtuous at all by knowing this now or reporting right, it to right. you. So, this is not me virtual signaling or whatever in any way. This is just, I found out something that I've never known and it also just enlightens me to the fact that we as Americans are not told the true history of things. No, we are not. Very rarely. What you learn in school is... A, half incorrect, <laughs> and B. Well, it's a rose-colored glasses It's version. rose-colored glasses, mm-hmm. and it is exclusionary of any other cultures that have made America what it is today. Right. So, there we go. I think, yes, exactly.
1: They, we This is a great country that was built off the backs of hardworking folks, and sometimes those folks were doing that hard work against their will.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Sometimes they were not treated well, along the way and I still think we're a great country but I think you cannot be a great country until you admit to some of those things because you check and adjust. We do this in our lives daily if I'm going to uh, I set a goal at work or at home and I'm trying to achieve it I have to at the end of the day once I achieve it look back at how I got there and make sure that I don't hit the same errors that I did on my way to achieving that goal the next time I set a goal. And so while we're trying to make this great country if We are not taking in the history that's negative or um, unflattering or hurtful and we just kind of act like it never happened, we will continue to make those same mistakes, just like we saw. We're still doing some of the same things 200 years later, and that is why.
0: You know, was something I found really interesting in that PBS documentary, The Plague at the Golden Gate. They were highlighting that while they were passing the Page Act and the Chinese Exclusion Act, over on the other coast, we were building the pedestal for the Statue of Liberty.
1: Oh my gosh, at the same time, that is, wow.
0: Which is now our Symbol of the freedom and liberty of the United States and our inclusivity. <laughs> what, is, what does she
1: say? Send us.
0: Send us your, like, tired and poor, your beleaguered. Is that word in there? Mm-hmm. I like that word. Beleaguered, tired and poor.
1: Okay, Give lo- me your tired, your poor, your huddled
0: masses yearning
1: to breathe free, the wretched refuse of your teeming shore.
0: Yeah, that was very ironic at the time. That
1: mm-hmm.
0: Here we are. Saying, here's what a great country we are, and then doing this over here. Hypocritical. Yep, very hypocritical. And, you know, I'm still glad that I was born here. Though 100%. maybe maybe my life would be better if I'd been born in Sweden, because apparently that's the best place <laughs> <Yeah>. to live. <laughs> if you're a Swede, you won the lottery, Yeah, I've heard that <laughs> multiple times. Yeah, it was just ranked the number one country in the world for all these different metrics. Of, mm-hmm. And Japan was number six. Number one to live in? Mm-hmm. 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 Um, I think America was number 10. We're still in the top 10. But.
1: I think people would be surprised to hear that. Yeah. Yeah. Because I think a lot of people assume we're number one.
0: Well, that's just part of the American way. Mm-hmm. We're number one. We're number one. Hey, I I am
1: all for tons of pride and where you live and your yes. country. And I'm
0: all for that. But being aware of your country shortcomings is important. Right.
1: Mm-hmm. If you are not aware of that, owning that and working on that. You'll never be the greatest country, right?
0: And if you can't knowing, admit to
1: those things and start yeah. addressing them, you will never be the
0: greatest. And knowing the history of your country is very important, whether it's good or bad. Because was what's the saying? Something like, "If you don't know your history, you're doomed to repeat it." What's mm-hmm. that saying?
1: Mm-hmm. It sounds something right like enough that. to me. Know.
0: Yeah, close
1: enough. Um,
0: the gist is there. You yes. have to be aware of where you've been wrong in the past. Admit it. Choose to do differently going forward, and you'll be better for it. Mm-hmm. So to hide that dark history, you're doing yourself a disservice. And I think it's important for people to know what horrible things have happened here. And it doesn't mean that you can't be proud to live here. You can't be proud of your country. Right. And I am glad I was born here because it gave me so many more privileges and then I would have been given if I'd been born somewhere else. I mean, I did win the lottery of living, of being born here and born In the situation I was, I recognized that.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. I've said that my whole life. How lucky I've been to be born
0: here. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. And I mean, everybody, every country, every nation, every ethnic group has done terrible things in their past. There's nobody that is free from having done terrible things to their fellow humans. It's those who do not learn from their history are doomed to repeat it. I Mm -hmm. think that's the saying. All right. Well, I think we've had enough for today. What do you think? Okay. All right, well... I appreciate you, Jody, sitting here and listening to me give you my book report. (laughs) Wow. It was, you, I could tell how much much fun you had doing it. You were all,
1: you were very into that, I could see.
0: Yeah, last Saturday. I mean, I was too,
1: but I could tell. I I was watching the the intrigue and joy come off of you across the way here.
0: (laughs) Yeah, it was, it was uh, last, was it last Saturday? It was this week. It doesn't matter. I fell down this rabbit hole so hard that I was just, I had my headphones on. I was staring at the computer and I looked up and five hours had Holy passed. Cow. And I was like, oh my God, no wonder my ass hurts. And right? I have to pee. Because <laughs> <laughs> I've been sitting on it, and I have to pee. I know, and it wasn't <laughs> even done. So yeah. I had to go back yesterday, and I had to cut myself off. I was about to go down the Tong Wars, and then I was like, okay, wait a minute. The Tongs go back to China in the 1800s. And I'm like, and then if we're talking about... We're gonna have to do a series if you go I back know, there. oh my god. And we're talking about like it was the beginning of some of these Asian gangs that exist today. Yes. So it's like, what am I gonna do? You know, give it three hundred years of <laughs> history. history lesson? Like, okay, I gotta I gotta stat. So next episode, you get to hear our interview with Rick Viria. Oh, I like it. You've been practicing. I have been. Um, the innkeeper of the Itty Bitty Inn, which you will have heard about in episode one. So we had an interview with him. So you'll get to hear that next week.
1: He's an interesting, interesting guy. Oh, my lots God. Of,
0: lots of personality. Lots of
1: different interests. And, yes. um He's definitely um, creative and um, thoughtful and smart. Yes. So it'll be a fun episode. Yeah, I, I, fun. we had a
0: great time interviewing him. So yeah, it'll it'll yeah. be good. It was really fun. And then you'll get to hear about Jody's uh, Bigfoot journey. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, after that, I will report back on my trip to Japan, which, as of this recording, has not yet happened. But I'm very excited.
1: Um, yes yeah. yes
0: so well, just make sure you, to come yeah subscribe on spotify or wherever you get your so that you can make sure that you can hear all those episodes
1: yep and uh, soon to come is our youtube channel you'll get to see some uh oh yeah something
0: on there yeah as of this episode i don't think i have time to do that too but <laughs> when i come back by the end of the year you'll actually get a real website you'll get the youtube channel <laughs> you'll yeah, get all that yeah. stuff I don't know. We've thought about Twitter slash X, but I don't. Yeah, know. I don't think
1: that's a good a, yeah good venue for us. Yeah. we'll see.
0: Yeah, we'll see. I, I refuse to call it X. I know. Me too. <laughs> so stupid. So dumb. So dumb. But you can all. use it X Twitter? Is exactly. Exactly, what the X is for? exactly. He loves X. Oh my God. <laughs> Why? I don't know. Because he's weird. He's so weird. <laughs> he's so weird. All right. Allegedly, um, <laughs> I don't know if it's alleged. We didn't he's say pretty, his name. I don't, did we? I don't. I don't
1: think anybody would say he's normal in any way. No
0: fan or no fan <laughs> exactly <laughs> but you can go to instagram and see all our pictures of our episodes at mm-hmm. rainy day rabbit holes pod and then if you want to email jody any sexy sasquatch art that you have made oh, please yeah. email her at jody at rainy day holes dot com
1: Yes. Or if you want to send Shay any uh, dim sum pictures that you've had at your local Chinatown, you can email her at Shea at dot com.
0: Yeah. All right. Well, we will see you next time. Thank you guys so much for supporting us. We really appreciate it. See you down the rabbit hole.